Good morning. Today is an exciting day here at Covenant. It's a day when I know you've heard and seen the video um, a little bit about this campaign we're entering into, but today is not so much just about a campaign as it's about a vision, a vision of where this church is going, that working to eliminate the debt on this building is one critical step in this stepping into this vision, but it's not the vision. The vision is what I want to share with you today, because the vision is about what does it mean to be a church in the 21st century? What does it mean to be a church that's thinking bigger than just polishing up what we've always done, but realizing that the world and our city is changing around us all the time, and that you and I are called to think in some different ways about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the city of Austin than what it meant to be a follower of Jesus in the city of Austin 25 years ago, and 50 years ago, and 100 years ago? What does it mean to be a church when we are the minority, when we are the counterculture? From the moment I came to Austin, Texas, I kept seeing these t-shirts saying, keep Austin weird. You know what's weird in the city of Austin today? Following Jesus. That's weird. The 86% of our city that's waking up today and has no sense of what we do here and don't care what we do here and are going, we'll sort of define life on our own terms, that's not weird, that's normal. That's the mainstream now. Following Jesus is weird in a city like Austin, and it will become increasingly so in the years to come in every city in this country. And the question and the vision that we have been asking is, what does it mean to faithfully follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a church in that setting? I want to share some of that with you today. The scripture passage we're going to look at is one verse from the book of Philippians. Philippians 1.27, Paul writes this, Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that this day you would share your vision with us, that we would catch a sense of excitement of what it means to be a countercultural missional church, and that you would Light a fire under our imaginations, fueled by the Holy Spirit for what the church of today and tomorrow is called to be. We pray that you would lead and guide us in this, this day and going forward, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, when we think about living this out, what does it mean to strive side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel? There are two significant things that our session has done that are going to lead us forward as a congregation. The first is this. The first thing is that as we engage in this campaign, this Opening Doors campaign, the financial relief that comes from this campaign is going to be benefiting those outside the walls of this church. It's going to go to missions, okay? We're not going to invent new staffing positions in order to just fill them because we just don't know what they are, but we can fill them if we have the money to. We're not going to buy newer flat screen TVs to replace the ones we already have because they're newer, We are going to give this money towards missions. This is a huge, huge thing. And this is in line with who our church has always been. I mean, we were founded by a missionary. Carl Eaton, the founding pastor of this church, was a missionary. And that DNA has been a part of who we have been. Missions has always been an important part of us. We're going to bring a definition up here. We've got some definitions today that are important. Uh, A friend helped me define these. What do we say when we mean missions? It's a word we throw around in the church a lot. What do we mean? 
Missions describes the activities and programs that involve works of cross-cultural, international, and local evangelism, justice, and mercy work, community development work, and service. This is what our missions committee spends time on. This is the stuff that they do, right? And so we give money to these things. We give money to justice. We give money where we see the kingdom at work. We give it, and we try to have our people involved in acts of service in this city. This is what we do, try to mobilize people, shape to serve. All these things we do is about trying to do this. This is good. What you saw in the video is an example of that. There are so many churches that are kind of protected fortresses for three hours a week, protected for Sunday morning. That is the opposite of how we do things. That's in our DNA. This building is used seven days a week, both by our congregation, but by a lot of people who don't go here, through AA or through the citizenship and ESL classes, through upward basketball, through all these different things like you saw in the video. This space is given away. That is unique. That is special. That is a a, a vision of missions, and we're proud of that. When we have seen, as we have in recent years, the budget of this church going up, your extravagant generosity as this church is growing has allowed our budget to increase, the biggest beneficiary of that has been our missions committee. The biggest beneficiary of that is that we are giving away money. Our operating budget for this year is back up over 10% of our operating budget is going to the missions committee. We're proud of that. And this first initiative by session says we want that number to go even higher. We want a higher and higher and higher percentage of our budget to go towards missions. That is a huge statement to make. So we are operating right now with about $600,000 a year out of our operating budget going to debt services. And if you work for Frost Bank, Frost Bank is great. They've been wonderful. There's nothing against Frost Bank, but we don't want to give it to Frost Bank anymore. We would like to give it somewhere else. So that's number one. This will be given away in missions. But the second thing Session has done is that we need a 21st century vision of what missions is. Because the way we have thought about missions in the past, the way that probably a lot of us think about this is we have certain things that come to mind, right? We go to Cuba, we go to Zambia, we go on mission trips, uh, we go to Belize, we go to um, do all these different things in the city, we work in the St. John's neighborhood, we work on the drag with street youth ministries, and, and, for, and I want you to hear, we're not gonna back away from any of those things. We wanna continue to lean in to all those initiatives. But the mission field is not just in those places that in many of our stereotypical uh, Christian minds that it exists. The mission field is now our schools, our neighborhoods, our places of work. We are the minority. We are in a city where 86% of, of this city is, wakes up and they are not thinking about church on Sunday morning and they don't care that we're here. They don't care that we're here. And so what are we going to do in this? To illustrate these changes, and I know you've seen them, I know you know what I mean when I talk about these changes, I think about a story that a friend of mine told who is just retired as a pastor in Asheville, North Carolina. Now, Asheville, North Carolina has some similarities. If you've been there, it's kind of similar in some ways to Austin. Austin's a little bigger, but it's similar. And that means it's in the state of North Carolina. North Carolina, and I'm not saying anything positive, I'm not saying anything negative, I'm just giving you a description. North Carolina is a politically pretty conservative state. That's been in the news in the last week or two, right? Asheville is a little different there, right? It's a little more alternative. It's a little bit different than some of the state around it. It's not like Portland, right? It's not like that. But in the North Carolina world, Asheville is kind of a a weird place. It's a crazy place, right? Austin, someone described Austin to me. He said, if Texas is still in the belt buckle, Austin is the hole in the belt where where the belt buckle fastens on the belt, right? We're a little different than 
the kind of state that surrounds it. I'm not saying it's positive, not saying it's negative, just saying it kind of is, right? Well, this pastor in Asheville was a pastor for decades of a historic downtown church. And uh, what he said is, is that the craziest time in the life of their church, when he first started out, was local election season. Because in local elections, if someone wanted to be the mayor of Asheville 30 years ago, there were like four churches in Asheville that you had to get in front of. Like the students right here are going, that'd be weird if like a politician ever showed up in a campaign. But some of you also know the church in Austin or churches in Austin where this was true 30 years ago, right? Every city has this, right? And he was the pastor of this historic business leaders, civic leaders. If you wanted to be a running for office, you had to be seen in a Sunday school class there or even better would be in one of their worship services, Right? You, that, that, you had to do that. But he said over the years, all of a sudden, candidates to be mayor didn't want to appear in our church anymore. They didn't ask anymore, and the election season calmed down. And then right before he retired, uh, a person in their church decided to run for mayor. And he got so excited about this because he loved this person. He was like, oh my gosh, this will be amazing. You would be such a great mayor. How can this church support you? And this person said, the person running goes, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to be seen as publicly like, connected with this. Because in Asheville, that would make it almost impossible for me to get elected. That is a huge change in just a few decades, and we're right in the middle of that as well. And so we have to figure out, what does that mean? How do we do this as this 86% number continues to grow? What does that look like? Because while things are changing in Austin, one of the things that's not changing is that the words of Henry David Thoreau still apply, which is that most people live lives of quiet desperation. This city needs Jesus. Just as it always has. This city needs to hear about a God who loves them, of what service is, of how your life can be lived in giving itself away to your family, to the world around you, and you find purpose in that, not in consuming and getting as much as you can, but of living for a story that's bigger than yourself. There's no shortage of people that need to hear that story. And they're maybe even open to it. They just don't want to hear it from us. How do we respond in that? How do we respond in our families? And what I've found is, and maybe you can relate to this, is that People kind of have two thoughts when they think about how they're called to live as a witness to the gospel. I find two things, and I've talked to young CEOs of tech companies here in Austin and stay-at-home parents and retirees who see these changes, and there's kind of two things that operate in a lot of us. The first thing is that we're not certain what to say in these changing times and all these changing conditions that we see, and so we just try to act like Christians. You know that song, it's like, they'll know we're Christians by our love? And so that, we kind of find on that, and we're like, I'm just going to be a really, 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 really loving person. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand out from people around me because I'm going to be so nice and so loving and just really kind and really swell. And people are going to just kind of see that. And then there's this other thing we do over here where we're like, and I also know what I don't want to be. I don't want to be one of those Christians that when I open my mouth at work or at school, everyone's like, oh, no, you're one of them right? I mean, we know what that is. We're really clear on what we don't want to be like, right? So we don't want to be that person who kind of in staffing goes, and by the way, um, if you die tonight, do you know what's going to happen to you, right? Like that, that bumper sticker stuff where we're like, oh, and the walls just come down. So we're like, I don't want to say any of this. I don't want to be that kind of, oh, person that turns everyone off. I think that would hurt the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to be so nice and so nice and so nice and so nice, and hopefully people will know we're Christians by our love. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. It's not what we're called to be. We are called, as Paul writes here, to stand in faith for the gospel of Christ in a city that needs to hear it, in a world that needs to hear it. 
And so the session has said that we need to embrace becoming a missional church. I'm going to bring the definition for this up here because it's important that we see this. Missional is an adjective that describes the congregational posture and orientation of the church, that we are God's sent people, called to bear witness to his reconciling work in the world. A missional church is not a church that simply does lots of mission trips or supports lots of missionaries. And I want you to hear, it's not that we're backing away from any of that. But that's not what a missional church is. A missional church is a church that has claimed its fundamental identity as a missionary community in a non-Christian culture. Listen to that again. At last sentence, a missional church is a church that has claimed its fundamental identity as a missionary community in a non-Christian culture. 86% of Austin does not care we're here. This is our culture. What does it mean to be the minority? What does it mean to be the counterculture? What does it mean to operate in this and not just kind of go, oh, I guess this is what we got to do, but to embrace it, to embrace it as the thing that God is doing and allowing us to do. But to do that, we're going to have to think differently. We're going to have to have different metrics of success than we've had. We're going to have to reverse some of the things that we've always thought that church is about. And so to that end, we are going to be starting something new. We are going to be starting here at Covenant the Institute for Missional Leadership. The Institute for Missional Leadership. And you're going to hear a lot about this in the days to come, and there are going to be a lot of conversations around it. So we're not going to, you don't need to get it all down now. But the Institute for Missional Leadership is not going to just be another program in our church. It's not going to be like children and youth and Institute for Missional Leadership and congregational care. The Institute for Missional Leadership is going to be a catalyst that engages with all of our committees, all of our leadership, all of our staff to ask the question of what does it mean to form and shape to people to live as countercultural Christians in a non-Christian context? What does it mean to shape and form people to understand that the action of the church is not in these walls, but what happened outside of these walls? You see, here's the thing, friends. 86% of these people in this city don't care what our sermon series are. They don't care what our music's like. They don't care what takes place in our buildings. They don't care we're here. And so for them to experience a gospel of grace and reconciliation and love, they're not going to hear it from me. They're not going to come one magical Sunday and just hear it. That's the old mindset. You all are the ones who they'll hear it from. You all are the ones. And so church has to reverse a lot of how it thinks because if we're being honest, historically, the church has kind of prided itself on how it attracted people, not how it sent people out. Think about our metrics of success. The good signs of health are when we're growing, when our membership's up, when our giving's up. Those are the things because it's coming to us. We are the destination that people come to, and we are the destination people give to. We're not saying that's bad, but that's been our metrics of of success. What would it mean if we said, no, 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 no. No, the metrics of success is how different is Austin because we're here. Who would notice outside of our walls if this church disappeared tomorrow outside of all of us? Because the gospel is meant to move out and to impact the world around us. This missional institute is going to be a conversation partner because it no longer works to say if we've got a good preacher and a good music program and a good children's program, we just open our doors and people come. That day's gone. We have got to be a sending agency. We've got to put a lot more work into how we send people out than how we get them to come. It's a complete reversal. I want to answer one quick question that I've been asked in this, and then I'm going to tell a story as we close. 
The question that I've been asked is like, well, do we need an institute? That seems like a very kind of formal thing to, to do this. Like, I, you know, if we need to make changes, can't we just make some changes? Well, it's a good question, but I don't think so. I don't think so because if you've ever in your personal life had deep-seated patterns, patterns of what you just did, and then all of a sudden you say, okay, I'm going to change those now, that takes more intentionality than just going, oh, let's just change. Oh, let's just kind of start thinking differently. I mean, that makes you feel good for a moment, but four days later, we just start going back into patterns. We all have default modes. Churches have default modes that we move to that if we're not intentional, we just kind of drift back to them. So we need a, 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 a designated uh, catalyst to continue to be a conversation partner for all of us of going, what does this mean? What does a missional church mean? What does it mean to be countercultural in this? Not just how have we always done it. How's effective in Austin, Texas today? But secondly, we believe that this isn't just a conversation covenant needs to have. That this is going to be, as one scholar said, any church that wants to be around in 50 years is going to have to eventually engage this conversation. Not some, not a few of them, not the ones that want to. As our country and our culture changes around us, everyone is going to have to ask this question. What does it mean to be the minority? What does it no longer mean just to be a chaplain to culture, but to be the counterculture? What does that look like? And so as we've passed this and just had very, very, very quiet conversations, it's been amazing the response of just a few people who I've talked to about this. There have been pastors in Austin who have contacted me and said, hey, if y'all really do this, we would like to come do it with you. And some of those churches have been really small, struggling churches, which is the vast majority of churches. Some have been like us and are growing. Some of the churches are quite large, non-denominational churches who have the smarts to know what we know which is that even though we're growing, the city around us is changing. And while we are growing rapidly at Covenant right now, how much of that is kingdom growth? How much of that is kingdom growth? See, we're not a, it's, congregational growth is not a goal. It's the growth of the kingdom why we're here. And they're aware of what we need to be aware of, which is a lot of our growth is people coming from other church backgrounds. How much of a dent are we making in this 86%? Collectively, every church in Austin, not much. So they said, could we come, you know, if y'all are going to actually have this conversation, could we come be a part of it? We've had three seminaries in the last six months that have heard about this and have said, we would love to consider partnering with you in this. We think every church is going to have to start thinking this way. And so if we could start training new pastors and leaders, one on the West Coast, two on the East Coast, that have said, if y'all get this going, we would love to have our faculty coming. We'd love to come be conversation partners. We'd love to send interns to you. Everybody's going to have to do this, and we would really love to learn. Our session in May is going to be hearing from one of those seminaries who has a proposal of entering into a partnership with us. This is, a, this is and, and session will determine whether we're right to do that or not, but this is the kind of thing that people are looking at, Christian leaders are looking at going, that's the future. That has to happen. We can't just polish up what we used to do and think it's going to work again. We have to rethink what we do. And this institute will be a catalyst for us, for you, but for churches around this city and around this country to gather together and say, what does it mean to be a Christian in a in a minority context? What does it mean to be a Christian when the majority don't care anymore and aren't listening? How do we live into that? How are we witnesses? How are we faithful in that? It's very exciting because it's planting our flag in what is coming, not in what has been. It's planting our flag in the ground and not being scared of these statistics and questions, but meeting them with the faith that God will see us through it if we just are bold enough and faithful enough to say, Lord, what do you want to do in this? What do we need to do? We can just trust in God. Because this isn't the first time churches have faced this. I want to finish by taking a 
survey real quick, and I know these are kind of cheesy, and I, I don't actually like doing them, but I'm going to ask you actually to do it regardless, and just go with me for a second. I want you to raise your hand to a few questions. How many people have been to London before? If you've been to London, raise your hand. Okay, pretty good majority of people. Um, and there's some people right now who are looking at their spouse going, told you. I told you everybody had been to London. We're going next year. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care what plane tickets are. We're going. So I apologize to those of you who are in that boat. Um, if you've been to London, raise your hand if you've been to Westminster Abbey. Yeah, so, yeah, most people who have been to London have been to Westminster Abbey. Beautiful, amazing place. Um, uh, if you've been to London, raise your hand if you've been to St. Paul's Cathedral. Another beautiful, historic, I mean, amazing church in London. Raise your hand if you have been to London and gone to Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Clapham. Okay? There's like eight of them in, in London. So, um, so Alan might be there. Holy Trinity Clapham Church is not the place tourists go. Holy Trinity Church in Clapham, Clapham is a neighborhood in London, is where I would go if I went to London and could only go see one churches. Because Westminster Abbey, St. Paul's, I've been there too. They're beautiful. They're amazing. You know what they are? They're tourist destinations now. And most every church in Europe and in the UK has been turned into a dance club or a restaurant or it's been turned into a disco bar or something else. I mean, they have all kinds of crazy stuff over there. Car garages, cars get repaired in old churches. It's unbelievable. Even the services that take place in some of these historic big cathedrals in Europe, if we're being really honest, and this may sound harsh, but we just need to name it, are basically for tourists to go with their video cameras and say, I worshiped at Westminster Abbey. Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Clapham was started in 1776. It was founded with a couple of different principles than the churches around them. It was founded on doing some things differently, and one of the things that they did is they founded themselves in what they called a fervent evangelicalism. Now, I want to unlock that word from how it politically works in our country right now. They didn't mean it in a lot of the ways we mean it today. What they meant by that is the true definition of the word, which is that they were unapologetically following Jesus. This is a time when a lot of churches around in London were in decline, just like a lot of churches are today, and the kind of common message in churches was, hey, we just kind of want to be relevant too, so we'll just sort of get you in touch with the spirituality. And Holy Trinity started by saying, no, 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 we are about Jesus. God's not just this mysterious spirit. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus, and he is raised again, and there is grace, and there is redemption, and there is reconciliation, and we are proclaiming that boldly. We are following Jesus. And secondly, they said that we are going to define success as a church, and listen to this, by is London different because we're here? So they didn't go get a world-renowned architect to build their new building. They didn't go spend all their money in that stuff like other places did. But what they did is they spent a lot of time training their people for what it meant to live as a follower of Jesus in London when you're a minority. And they made an enormous impact. They sent people out uh, who worked for child, against child labor laws. They sent people out who established parks in London. They sent parents out who worked in schools and volunteered in schools, not to check a list of like, oh, well, I'm a good citizen and I serve in school, but to say, as I serve in the school, what does the kingdom want to say here? What does it mean to be a specific and intentional follower of Jesus? And how do we figure that out together? One of their most famous members, and he wasn't a pastor who did this, one of the most famous members was William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a member of the House of Parliament who worked for 27 years for the eradication of the slave trade in the British Empire. 
For 26 years, as a member of the House of Lords, he introduced bills to eradicate this trade. And it was voted down, and he was defeated again and again and again and again. He gave in to despair at times. Sometimes he wanted to give up, but it was his congregation. It was this community of Christians who said, no, this slavery is an abomination in the eyes of God. And we believe God wants to get rid of it. And so we're going to keep sending you out there saying, if you're in the house of the Lord, what does it mean to follow Jesus there? This can be your point of influence. And on his last year, months before he died, Wilberforce introduced the bill again, and it finally passed. And slavery was outlawed. This congregation, which almost none of us have heard of, has changed our world far more than one of the tourist attraction places that we go over there and see with the beautiful architecture. And you know what? There's another reason you can't go visit as a tourist. And you know why that is? Because they're not a tourist attraction today. They're still alive. They're still alive and thriving because London's not 86% of people like Austin. It's closer to 96% of people. They are further down this line than we are, but they are thriving still. And they are having, like we do, four services every single Sunday in the heart of London. They are seeing people as they proclaim Jesus who are coming to faith. They are still asking themselves over 200 years later, is London different because we're here? And in doing that, they are thriving as a missional community rather than a tourist destination. America is moving in the exact same direction. And now is the time for us to wrap our arms around God's call to be his countercultural people to be people in the heart of Austin who proclaim Jesus but find our own authentic and winsome ways to do so as a student, as an employee, as an employer, as a parent, as a friend, and in your neighborhood. Our session has made two huge decisions. To give increasingly to missions from this campaign and to establish an institute that will help us claim and lead other people in claiming what the church of the 21st century in our country will look like. This is an exciting chapter, and God will lead us boldly into it. I look forward to learning on this journey alongside each and every one of you as we step into taking it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that just as you have called Christians to from the beginning— from 2,000 years ago to be your witnesses, that this is our call as well. And we admit that sometimes we're scared of that and sometimes we feel stuck and sometimes we are worried about what to say and so sometimes we just feel immobilized. But as the world around us changes, Lord, it's clear that we need to be able to claim this again. So give us a vision for this. Give us the courage and the faith to follow in your leading. Give us the ability to know that you are not done with the church, but a new chapter is beginning that will bring glory to your name and that all of us are invited to step into this trusting in you. We trust in this vision and this call upon us all and we give thanks for the opportunity to be here together. In Jesus' name, amen.